From the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 11, verse 25, let us hear the word of the Lord. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As we come to the word this morning, uh, it's such a good word. And we are, for those of you visiting, we are going through a book called Gentle and Lowly, uh, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And uh, we're basically looking every Sunday at Matthew 11, 28 through 30. So let's just pause and pray together. And I want to encourage you just to pray quietly for yourself that you could hear the voice of the Good Shepherd this morning. So just pray quietly and just ask Jesus to speak to you through this passage this morning. Now take a few moments and pray for someone sitting near you or next to you to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Join their prayer and pray for them to hear Jesus' voice this morning. Now take a few moments and pray for me to hear Jesus' voice as I share with you the things he's put on my heart for you today. So pray for me to hear Jesus' voice this morning. Jesus, thank you that you are the good shepherd and you said your sheep will hear your voice and we are the sheep of your pasture. For those sitting here wondering where they are with you, we pray today would be the day they know that they belong to you, that you, the Lamb of God, made a way for them to be forgiven and restored and redeemed through your finished work for them. So Jesus, reveal your heart to all of us sitting here today and all of us watching, that no one will go away today saying, uh, I don't know who Jesus is, or I don't know what he's done, but you will make clear to them today this is their day to understand for the first time that you came for them. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Like many of you, I'm sure you enjoy watching the Olympics as Valerie and I are watching the Olympics. And uh, just to, again, to see the level of, uh, of with the athletes. But it's really been sad for me because we're such a big fan of Simone Biles and what she does. Um, and just to see her have to drop out of the competition uh, there was an amazing op-ed piece this week uh, from a woman named uh, Jennifer Boylan who wrote for the New York Times about the experience of what Simone is going through and uh, what she's going through as it relates to her just disconnect. And here's what she wrote uh, in that op-ed piece. She goes, losing the connection. It's heartbreaking to see this happen to Biles, whose strength and grace have been inspirational. But the twisties aren't unique to sports. 
Anyone who's ever tried to do something great has also experienced doubt, uncertainty, and the loss of faith. These are the struggles that make us human. Whether we respond to the yips with scorn and self-flagellation or with grace and acceptance says a lot about us as human beings. It is one thing to pray for excellence on the vault or the uneven bars, but embracing one's vulnerability, the very frailty that makes us human, well, that demands a very particular brand of wisdom and humility. I call it Olympian. Uh, Jesus calls it humility, being poor in spirit. Now, I added that in. Uh, Jennifer didn't write that last line. <laughs> Don't worry, New York Times is not going, you know, anyway. Uh, but uh, Jesus calls the spirit of someone who's willing uh, to be humble and vulnerable uh, heroic. It's a heroic move on our parts when we embrace what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning we're going to go back over this passage. We're going to talk about learning to admit our need. We're going to say learning how to receive his gentleness and how to receive his lowliness. So we're going to look at those three things. You know, how, what does it look like for us to admit how needy we really are? And secondly, uh, how do we understand his gentle demeanor towards us? And how do we understand his lowliness when he describes his heart to us? Um, Jesus is saying through this passage very simply, come to me because you need me. Everybody here needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need him personally, intimately. You need to know that your creator is your redeemer. He's come to make himself real to you in a way that once you start in a relationship with him, you'll be amazed what happens. Because if you look at Jesus' ministry, the first thing he basically says to people who are checking him out is, come and see. Now, some of you have been sort of coming to church here, or you're in a friendship with a person who's a believer, and you're attracted to say, who is Jesus? What is he like? And you're being drawn to see who is Jesus. Now, in the Gospel of John, I think they come and they say to Jesus, uh, to friends of Jesus, we would see Jesus. So it's come and see. The next thing that if, as you begin to listen to Jesus talk to you, you'll hear him say to you, come and follow me. So come and follow me. And then the third thing you'll hear him say, if you continue to follow him and learn about him, his, he'll say to you, come and die. Come and die. Come and see. Come and follow. Come and die. But it also it starts with understanding our great need, what our need is. And if you can admit what your need is, what your greatest need is, then you're, you're on the path to amazing things. A good friend of mine who does a lot of marriage counseling and helps a lot of couples, he says, Clyde, I look for one thing when I'm counseling with a couple. He said, I look for humility in the husband and the wife and humility together. If they have humility, it's amazing the things that can happen for them. But if one of them is prideful, stubborn, resentful, or bitter, or just outright arrogant, it is so hard to help them. Because I've been in ministry for a number of years now, um, and I meet with people, a lot of times people come with this basic desire. They have a presenting problem, but they're basically saying, hey, Clyde, I just don't want to be this needy. <laughs> 
I'm just so weary of being so needy. And I have to give them the, the bad news and the good news. The bad news is you're on the path. The goal is not to become less needy. It is to become more needy. And when that becomes good news to you, then you're in. You're following Jesus. You're following his heart because he's saying to you, you are blessed when you admit how much you need me every day, every moment of every hour. You're getting in touch with that. Uh, uh, one of the commentators on this passage translates, Come unto me, all you who are weary and have it laid in this way. Come unto me, all you who are struggling and carrying too much. Uh, we're like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says, come and learn. And last week we looked pretty much in depth at what does it mean to take his yoke? That Jesus himself was a carpenter. He built yokes for oxen. But he's saying, come and take my yoke. No self-respecting rabbi would have ever said, take my yoke. This is a way of Jesus authenticating that he is who he says he is, that he's God coming for us. He says, if you'll take my yoke that I've designed for you, you're going to learn from me. And there's this beautiful image in this because we understand from that time there was never one ox pulling a cart or pulling, you know, a thing to plow the, the ground with. It was always two. So when Jesus says, take my yoke, he's basically saying, take the yoke that I'm carrying and the yoke I've designed for you, and we're going to do this together. Now, most of you know that a lot of great learning comes because it's caught, not taught. A lot of the great things I've learned about following Jesus, I've done with other people or alongside other people or sharing with other people or serving other people. Jesus says, come alongside me. If you take the yoke that I carry for this lost and dying world and you put that yoke on you, my teaching about my love for this lost and dying world, and you let it begin to change you, then you are going to be an amazing person in the kingdom because the kingdom will be yours. And so we have this beautiful picture of being yoked to him. But to get there, you have to see every day your need for him. Now listen to these verses from Hebrews chapter 4, where the... In Hebrews 4, we read, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted, there we go, as we are, thank you, Jesus and Amanda and everybody up there, yet without sin... Let us then withdraw, <laughs> with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, you see that in the time of need. We're always living with that need. Peterson translates these verses, and I love the way he translates it. It's a modern paraphrase that he wrote for people like us to get a better understanding of what's going on. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, the great high priest, with ready access to God, Let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Uh, some of us have been watching this video from a man who used to be a pastor here in the, in the Boston area about revival. And one of the themes we're developing as a church is our need for revival. And it's an interesting uh, way that Steve Brown, as he's teaching on this YouTube video about where revival begins is that when we see our need, he uses that word, seeing your need. 
And revival means sort of an extreme makeover. It's, it's a sense of, man, I was so dark, I was so divided, I was so messed up, and all of a sudden, I got wholehearted, I got integrated. So when we see our need, Jesus is inviting us to make us whole again through who he is and what he's done for us. And Steve Brown talks about revival comes when people see their need. So if we were to do a little exercise here where we were, again, to break in small groups and go around the circle and say, my greatest need is, and fill in the blank right there, it would bond us together, but it would really open us up to what God wants to do to revive us in his commitment to us. Do we realize today how much we need him? Do you realize that? Do I realize that? Because when we do, here's what happens. Now, let me read to you uh, J.R. Packer, who's this amazing, he's with Jesus now, but British um, Anglican uh, priest, pastor, wrote an amazing book called Knowing God and lots of other ones. Here's what he says about what you can expect if you admit that you need God in your life, that you need Jesus. He says, uh, what matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. In the, in the, last, in the, last, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. All knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. <laughs> there is unspeakable comfort, the sort of comfort that energizes, be it said, not enervates, in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There's tremendous relief in knowing that his love for me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no dis discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I'm often so disillusioned with myself and quench his determination to bless me. That's how God is determined to pour the passion of who he is into your story so that your story becomes his story and you know this kind of amazing, passionate love for you. Again, the danger always here is that we're people who are coming and seeing. We're around a lot of Christians. We hear a lot of different things. Uh, never stepped into Jesus' story. And that's where Jesus wants to say to us at this point, come and follow me. Uh, come and step into my story. Uh, because if you do, you're going to go low with me. And you're going to discover that I am gentle in heart. Now, the Hebrew, I mean, the Greek word here for gentleness is the word meek. Uh, again, most of you know from the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, Valerie and I were married 46 years ago in Charlotte, North Carolina on June the 28th. And the pastor who was uh, preaching that day, uh, his verse for his sermon at our wedding was, blessed are the meek. And I'm sitting there going, why, why are you preaching on that? <laughs> you know? But he knew, or God knew, that I needed to hear that word. I need to hear that word today because meek means gentle, humble. And, and these two words overlap, gentle and lowly. But the idea is to be in a place where you realize your need and you're willing to admit that.
But it has also the idea of disciplined strength. Meekness means that you don't react impulsively or presumptively out of your own strength. Now, there are many gifted people in this room have a lot of capacity, a lot of ability. They can bring a lot to anything we talk about or want to do. But if it comes in our own strength, uh, it's not going to end up accomplishing what we hope for. If it comes in God's strength that God takes my abilities and my gifts and who I am to you through who he's made me to be, redeemed me to be, there's so much power. There's so much love that flows through me to you and you to me as you come out of your recognition that the strength that I need, the strength that I need um, has to come from God. Jesus in John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't mean you can't do a lot. You can do a lot, but what really matters can only be accomplished as you abide and rely on me. Now, I grew up in a very stoical family. I grew up in a family where to show emotion was a sign of weakness. And not only was it a sign of weakness, you could expect to be shamed if you shed tears in my family. We did not cry in my family. To show tears was like death because you would come under the judgment of my mother, particularly for embarrassing the family by crying in public. So a few years ago, as God was working these truths into my story, um, I got to do a wedding for a woman who'd been single for a long time. She got married late. And uh, as I did her premarital counseling with her fiance and we talked, she said, God, I'm so afraid that when I get up at the wedding, I'm going to start crying and I won't be able to stop. And uh, of course, again, my flesh is like, don't worry, we got this, we'll, I'll help you through it, you know. But I heard what she was saying, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, you're so afraid of being emotional and vulnerable because you're going to lose it. Like I could tell you how many people say, Clyde, if I start thinking about the trauma in my story, I'm going to start crying and I will not be able to stop. So on the day of Allison's wedding, um, and I'm preparing, I'm staying out in the foyer, we're getting ready to have this big, the church is packed with people, people she's known for a long time, know her, her soon-to-be husband, everybody's coming to celebrate. I, I'm saying this, I'm saying, Father, uh, I know Jesus said, apart from you, I can't, I can't do that. I don't want to mess this up for Allison. I want it to be perfect for her. So that's my prayer walking in. I walk to the front. You know, it's always very emotional when everybody's coming forward. Uh, the bride starts to come down the aisle. Allison's coming down the aisle. I'm, she's smiling. She's crying. It's great. She gets up there and stands in front of me. And I start to just sort of welcome everybody. And I start weeping. <laughs> I mean, I'm just bawling like a baby, you know? And so I'm going, Jesus, <laughs> you know, what is going on here? What's happening? But as people are shedding joyful tears and all that, I realized what God helped me do was to take the pressure off of Allison. It's sort of one of those mysteries, miraculous things, when I realized, oh, by my weeping, it really frees out. And from that point on, Allison was free to really enjoy and celebrate her wedding. It was one of those God moments where I would have never, 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 do, uh, done what I did, but God by His Spirit said, I'm going to show people how much I love you by giving you the ability to weep for this woman who has been through so much and now is able to enter in uh, to the joy of being married. It was just wow. So 
Um, when you're gentle, you're dependent, you're willing to embrace God's kindness towards you because God's kindness leads to repentance, Romans 2, 4. And as you learn about the gentleness of Jesus, you'll realize how much he helps you be real and get in touch with your sadness, your pain, your loss, your fears, and be real with other people. Um, one of the real desires for Jesus and his church, and I know many of you are at Christ the King and share the same vision, is that Christ the King should be a ch church where people are, are blessed and welcome to come and suffer. They're free to suffer here and to be real and to struggle with no pressure to make any changes, anything different until it's time for them to begin to get better. Many people have said the church is to be a hospital. Luther, in this great, uh, his commentary on these verses, he says, if you really understand what we're really like and what the church is like, it's a hospital for invalids. So welcome, invalids. <laughs> we got a lot of handicapped parking out front. No, we don't have any parking. But if we did, there should be a sign here, parking for invalids. And, and what was Luther saying? What, was, what is God saying through that? Is that we're all broken people. We are all broken people. Now, one of uh, Valerie and I's favorite TV shows, we just binged it a couple years ago again, was West, is West Wing. Um, and some of you are big West Wing fans. Talk to us. We love talking about the West Wing. But one of the most powerful scenes in the West Wing is when Jimmy Smith, who's running for office, um, he's been handed all this junk and dirt on his opponent to expose his opponent in a way that will basically ensures he wins the election. And as uh, he gets to that point, he's fed all this information. He basically says, I'm not going to do that. And when he stands up to speak in front of some group of supporters at a political event, he says, I know all of you are hearing some of the rumors and scandals about my opponent, but we're all broken people. He says that line. He says, we're all broken people. And at that point, the whole group of people at this political event stand up and go, yeah! <laughs> it's like, finally, we can be honest. We can be real. We're all broken. We all need help. We all need something greater and bigger than ourselves that leads us out of the craziness of our politics and what causes us to despise and hate each other and turn against each other. Well, when you learn how to be gentle the way Jesus wants you to be gentle, it really gets you ready to enter into this overlap of Jesus says, I'm lowly. And here's the good news. Jesus says, I want you to know I am poor. I'm destitute. I became poor and destitute for you so that you might be made rich. Jesus, how low did Jesus go? He went bankrupt. He went belly up. He lost everything for you and for me, for us. How low did Jesus go? He went so low. Now, I've spent some time in Africa. There's a song over there called Lower, Lower, Higher, Higher. <laughs> and the song is simply for us to get to the places where God wants to take us. We've got to go low with Jesus to that place at the cross where we realize what he accomplished for us there. Jesus became just torn apart by the twisties, if you will. He was ripped apart, torn apart. He was disconnected from his head and his heart in a way that he experienced what we experience when we lose our way. 
when we think about the heart, in our culture, we think about intellect, mind, emotion, heart. But in the Bible and biblical understanding, it is the central animating center of all we do. It is our motivation headquarters. It is not part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our hearts are who we are. And what Jesus wants to reproduce in us is this gentleness with ourselves, with each other, and a humility with each other so that when we see our problems and our needs, we're not quick to judge the other or be hard on the other or to make the other person pay. Um, we were, we'll say, I wonder how I'm like that. I wonder how I can help them. He wants to make us today rich in the things that money cannot buy because what he did for us at the cross is he purchased us for us his heart so that we can know a God who is gentle and lowly. This is the one place where Jesus says, you want to know me? You want to experience me? I'm gentle and lowly. Now, who doesn't want to hang with Jesus? <laughs> who doesn't want to respond to someone who in seeing your need, your problems is gentle with you? and is humble with you, saying, I love you so much, I was willing to take your place. I was willing to break the power of shame and give you joy. I was willing to forgive you of all your sins. And to get there, I had to go to the lowest place. I had to be twisted and feel incredible loss, hell itself, so that you would know heaven today and tomorrow and the next day. That you would say, I know what it's like to be in the kingdom of heaven because I've learned how to be gentle and lowly in heart the way Jesus made it possible for me to do. Jesus came to do something for us we could never do for ourselves, and that is to rescue our hearts. Um, he became twisted and torn apart to bear the wrath and judgment we deserve so that we might invite, he might invite us into his gentle and lowly heart. Let's go there together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for uh, the hope of heaven, for the recognition that our Savior is not demanding and austere, that he's not uh, strict and uh, just very hard.